Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, vacations are over, and it's time to get back to football. The combine is complete, and the new league year is upon us. And with me this week to detail exactly how to hustle free breakfast tacos in line, it's David Newman. Look, you just need to be the man with the sign. That's all that really matters. So we went to on Saturday. We had we had a day. Uh, it was you know you could say it was a double date. You and me were on a date. Our wives were on a date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say that. Yeah, we uh, we went to go get some breakfast tacos at Valentina's down south, and we went to a coffee cupping class. You know, like adults do. And and we're in this line, and I get there, and David, you're holding this sign that says "Last Breakfast Order," and apparently, this sign was is basically the thing everyone wanted. It puts a target on your back. Um, I'm going to say not a great move from the restaurant's perspective because it really just kind of shifts all of the blame to you as a consumer. Like everybody wants to be. So this place is like known for their breakfast tacos, right? People go there to get the breakfast tacos. So when they show up and they realize that they can't get the breakfast tacos, they are not happy about that. And yeah, they just look for ways that they can swindle themselves into a position to get breakfast tacos. The the taco that everyone's after is called the Real Deal Holy Field. It is a thick cut slice of brisket, which the, their brisket of Valentina's is delicious. Refried beans, bacon, uh, smoked Serrano salsa, and, and a, a fried egg. And it's an amazing taco. It's delicious. If you're ever in Austin, definitely recommend it. But we had someone walk up to David and just try to like sneak attack the sign out of your hand, which was funny. Like trying to grab it, and I was like, "What the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> the, Get off my sign!" <laughs> but the 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 group that successfully achieved it walked up and basically said, "Look, we're not from town. We're from Indy, and we will buy your food if you just buy us two of these tacos." We're like, "Man, eh, that's fair trade." Sold. Yeah, Can that do is it. market economics. So you know. Just keep hustling those free tacos, Newman. I'll do what I can. Yeah. Uh, so we're back, and now we're here to kick off the off-season program. And as we do every year, we're going to start with kind of our look back at the roster, and we're going to have the return of the better rivals. The Jesus, the better <laughs> rivals. It's the return of the better rivals roster model. Now. For those that are uninitiated, for the unaware, the roster model is something we put together to basically evaluate where the Niners roster is going into the new year, but also it allows us to really focus where we spend our energy looking at draft prospects, where we spend our energy looking for uh, free agent prospects as well, so that we can really hone in the coverage over the next couple of weeks and months into the offseason because we, we just don't have enough time to look at everyone, and this really helps us focus in on the areas that we think the team can and should improve going into the new league year. And the the general process that we've outlined is one, this is now the third year of the roster process, David? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I mean, we, we did it in a lot more episodes in previous seasons because the 49ers were a lot worse. So we had a lot more time to kill uh, once the offseason started. And yeah. so we really had to stretch this out for a few episodes. Um so we're doing it in one, and I think, yeah, it's the third third or fourth season. I, th I think we started it right before Shan, like right when Shanahan and Lynch got there, I believe. Yeah. It was like that offseason was like the first offseason we did it. So it all started with the basic idea that every you can't have a team of 53 all pros no matter how hard you try, and that really rosters are going to be constructed in different ways based on where they are in their kind of developmental cycle. And, and so rather than looking at a straight ranking of whether you have good players or bad players, we thought of putting the roster into tiers. And, and so we basically said, all right, one axis is how good you are in your production. The other axis is, you know, kind of time, whether or not we expect that production to last for a long time. And when you get those things together, you get quadrants that give you rough tiers. And then we put one kind of tier above that, which was the top tier, the, the tier of players that are the best, the blue chip players on the roster. So that's usually where we start. The inputs are basically evaluation of your skill, your positional value, expected time on roster, and your expected production. And so the very, very first tier is going to be your core players. These are the truly elite players on your roster. You probably know who these players are off the top of your head. 
Uh, and and in this case, it's probably no secret that it's going to be players like Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, uh, and, and George Kittle. But then you get to the foundational players, and that's when things begin to expand a bit. Right. So I think these are guys that you're you're looking for. I mean, they're every good team has, I think, a, a good amount of these players, right? That you can kind of win with. They're not necessarily the ones who are by themselves driving a large amount of that success, right? So you're um, if you have a top end quarterback, you're not going to find him there. You know, guys that uh, these are going to be more of like your role players that kind of fit in. They fill a specific role. You know, they may fit in well with what you're doing schematically um, on either side of the ball. And so it's just they're guys that are important role players that that you can win with that are maybe helping you become successful. But they're, they're not the primary driving factors in that success. And then you've got players that are your transitional players. These are the players that teams sign. In, think of like second wave free agency players. They're not going to be your big splash players, or maybe sometimes they are, and they're just not that good. Um, but they're the veteran players that fill an immediate need on your roster. And they're players that maybe were once considered good at their position, or they fit a very, very specific role. And and they're usually on, they, they trend on the little older side, but not necessarily always old. The age out really is different based on the position. Like for a running back, that age out could be like 27, 28. For a quarterback, it could be 35, 36. You ultimately, 42. Tom yeah, Brady. 42, exactly. The, the age out is really about expecting short-term production. And one of the key, the defining characteristics of this is that while that player is in that role, they're a transitional player. You're still looking for a replacement, whether it be through the draft or whether it be through perhaps another free agent acquisition that you hope turns into that two uh, and maybe even a one. So these are generally, you know, I think Richard Sherman is going to be the player that really defines this category. Someone who still played very, very well, but you're not sure when that clip is going to come. They're a little older. It's a shorter term deal. There's not very many years left on that contract. Uh, and ideally, you're looking for someone like Akella Witherspoon to hopefully take that over if, if you get there. But that's going to be the player that really defines the, the, the third tier of transitional player. And then so when you get to, I think, the last two tiers, right, that we've got. So tier four is developmental players. Tier five is just flat out replaceable. I think from a talent perspective, a lot of times there may not be, at least right now with what we've seen, uh, uh, necessarily a huge gap. But I think what we're looking for with developmental players, right, are guys that is, is in the title that you think you can develop into something more. So there, there is something there that makes you think they can go from being a player who's probably, you know, a, a backup in an ideal world or, you know, a depth piece or, or something like that. And you think that there's enough there, whether it's just they're uh, maybe a plus athlete and, and they just have a, a lot of athleticism. You're hoping to hone in on some of the skill or um, you've seen them maybe flash and, and filling in for a small stretch and you want to see them, develop to a point where they can can do that consistently for a longer period. So the developmental players are guys that you think have that sort of long term hope and that you think you can develop into something more, whereas tier five, you don't really have that same sort of hope with them, right? You're just these are guys that are bottom of the roster players likely or they just don't bring anything to the table that you don't feel like you can readily find elsewhere. With tier four, sometimes you get these triggers from a team that let you know that they really do view them as developmental players. I think when you look at the acquisition of Lake and Tomlinson, that's probably one that the team thought they could develop into something because they traded draft capital to get him, even though at the time that they traded him, he was basically considered a washed out player. But he was a first round, a first round draft pick that the Niners thought they could get something out of. And they signaled that based on the trade and what they were going to give up to get him drafting a player as opposed to signing someone as an undrafted free agent. Those are the kinds of things that we'll look at to see if someone like ends up being a developmental player versus a replaceable player. Um, yeah. And, and you know, replaceable is it definitely has a negative connotation, but ultimately there's a ton of replaceable players in the NFL and, and a lot of rosters are made up from replaceable players and, and every roster is going to have them. They, they just do. You need I'm them. I would go as far to say every roster, the majority of every roster is going to be made, be made up primarily of replaceable players, right? Yeah. Like the majority of your roster are guys that don't really stand out in one way or another over 
a lot of the other players in the NFL, right? You're getting similar things, and a lot of times the difference just comes down to things like fit or opportunity or something that doesn't have a lot to do with that player's specific skill set. And part of the reason that this model really helped us evaluate the Niners roster in years past is because it really helps you see where a team is at and how they need to fill that roster, because maybe there are a lot of players because they built the roster well in that tier one, tier two, or maybe even tier three area where you've got to helpfully have some development, developmental players that you acquire via the draft. Or maybe you've got a lot of developmental players and a lot of core players or just a few core players, and you need some more transitional players to fill out the middle of your roster. This may have been where the Niners were last year. And, and so it definitely helps see not just what positions you need to get or where you need to up-level in terms of skill, but also perhaps where you might need a transitional player as opposed to a developmental player because maybe your entire wide receiver core is made up of developmental players and you're like, <laughs> crap, you know what? You know, I, I do probably need some skill here, but I probably need a transitional player that's going to help me actually upskill this group of really, really young players. So the, there's a couple different ways that we can apply the model. But what we did is we looked at a lot of numbers, their contract expiration, their snaps, and, and we basically went and assigned every single player currently on the Niners roster uh, a tier number. And David went through and did his, I did mine. And there are currently, I think, what, 64 players on the Niners roster, which they will eventually fill out over the next couple of weeks in free agency and the draft and eventually get to their 90-man roster. But this snapshot right now helps us kind of map out what the Niners, what we think the Niners should do in free agency and in the upcoming draft. So let's go ahead and look forward to 2020, because when we look at the distribution of tiered players in this year, it looked pretty on par with last year. And we know that last year's roster was a roster that could get you to the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah, I think when when you're looking at it from the perspective of, you know, entering where are they at entering the coming season, even, you know, obviously the coming off season, because we, we know that there's inevitably going to be um, some changes, you know, that you're going to obviously have your draft class come in. You're probably going to do at least a little bit in free agency. And so there's going to be some movement with the guys that we have now. But just kind of looking at, at what's there, what's under contract and, and kind of how you feel about that going forward. Yeah, I think they're in a really similar spot. You know, I think they have um, a, a good number of players that are kind of at the top there. Um, that you can build around. I think they have a good number um, of those core players that are kind of pieced around them. Um, and then, you know, they're going to have to replace, I think, like you mentioned last year, kind of there was a, a lot of spots where it seemed like they needed that transitional piece, somebody that can come in, be a little bit of a spark like right away and, and give you some production, give some of the younger guys more time to develop. Um, you know, so they added some of those those last year. Um, so I think they may end up having to kind of replace a couple of those guys. We'll get into that later, but yeah, I think overall shape of the roster is in a really similar spot. Now it, it, we've already mentioned some of the players in tier one, but to put, to put a fine point on it and remove any veil of mystery, you've got George Kittle, DeForest Buckner, Nick Bosa as clear top tier players, but there was some disagreement, Mr. Newman about the mm -hmm. fourth person in that tier. I still have Jimmy Garoppolo in that tier one. He was a tier one player for us last year. And this year, David, you've moved him into tier two. Why did you move Garoppolo into tier two? So I think when we look, you know, we've always tried to do what we always try to do with any player or any situation is like, you know, make the best assessment we feel like we can do based on that information we have at the time. And I think Going into last year, we were still with a far more limited sample um, with Jimmy Garoppolo. And that sample was really promising. I think we were both really optimistic about what he would do if given the chance for a full season. Um, and I think for me, I just didn't see the same things that stuck out that made me optimistic in that smaller sample. I didn't see a lot of those same things consistently this season. And so uh, it's kind of made me for right now move him back a tier. And I, I feel like he really based on what he showed this last season looks maybe like he's more of a guy that you can win with, right? Obviously we know that they can put together a good season. They can go to the super bowl when you have a nice roster around him. Um, but I don't know that he's a guy for a tier one quarterback for me is somebody that I really think can kind of drive the train himself, right? I think he's a, a player that can elevate those around him. Um, and, and you feel confident that just because he's on your roster, the offense is going to be fine. Right. 
Um, I don't really feel that. I feel good about the offense every year, but I feel good about that because of Kyle Shanahan. And, and I'm really just kind of uh, the way I found myself feeling, especially later in the season as we we kind of built this up more and more and we got a w- further and further away from that kind of small sample that we had early on. Um, I, I find I found myself feeling like, OK, I hope Jimmy doesn't mess it up. You know, I, like I, they have obviously guys like Kittle, you know, they had an offense that was was built to go with what Shanahan was doing. And it was just like hoping that Jimmy could steer it enough most of the time to not screw that up. And so I, I just kind of, yeah, I feel like he didn't show those same things on the same level of consistency that I would have hoped. So my, my main takeaway from all of that is that you're saying the Niners should go out and get Tom Brady. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was talking about before, right? 42 is the age out for the quarterbacks. Um, I think, yeah, it absolutely checks out, right? No, no that is that ridiculous. shit. I ain't bringing Tom Brady in here. No, yeah, that's ridiculous. If you're on that, if, if you even think that's remotely a good idea, just stop right now. Just stop. Um, the for me, the reason I think he's still a tier one player is because one of positional value, right? The the idea behind that tier one where these are the not just the most valuable positions, but they are the the players that are amongst the best at their position, I think. Last year, that would not be the case for Jimmy Garoppolo. But for me, this this model is really a future-looking model. It's trying to figure out, okay, what there's a bit of projection in there combined with some of the past. And this is where you get into kind of a bit of the outcome curve for Jimmy Garoppolo, where I don't think that he is... There's still a, a very good likelihood that he continues and even improves his performance based on where he was last year. Had Kevin Cole on last week, you know, since you abandoned the podcast and basically said, I don't want to talk about football. It still hurts, David. It hurts me. Sure. Every time you're you're not on here. Feel lucky that I'm back now. (laughs) (laughs) You're just drinking yourself into oblivion. I'm not even sure you're going to make it past minute 32 at this point. Yeah. I mean, like my throat is sore. My house is an absolute train wreck right now. Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's anyway, great. Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but but for me, I think because it, I still need one more year of information to basically firmly put him in like, OK, yeah, he's number two. I'm trying not to react as much and say he still performs well under pocket uh, in a clean pocket. His outcome curves are still absolutely there in terms of being, you know, he doesn't need to be like the best quarterback in the league. But that that's kind of where I'm at. I'm at. I think in years past, I've been too quick to promote or remove players. And then it turns out they have a great year or not a great year. And so it's like, all right, give me just a little bit more time with him here. It, it, and if you weren't a quarterback, I probably would move him out of the tier. But because that position is so valuable um, and because he played, you know, at really a top 10 level, in my opinion, I, I would still kind of put him there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the two things for me is one, I agree with you in, in trying not to overreact. Um, I think for me, though, it's more of a realization that I probably had him incorrectly placed last year in tier one, right? I feel like tier one last year was, was probably overly optimistic knowing as much as like over the years, we've just hammered and hammered on small samples and not trying to make big judgments there. I think we were just, uh, at least I was, you know, very excited to have uh, a quarterback who looked even competent and I think was maybe too quick to put him in that tier one where he probably should have been at tier two last year still and, and kind of would make this more of a, a holding firm there. I, I don't think that it's out of the question that he can get there to tier one and be that guy in the future. I just think right now, as we again, we're building more and more games with him. Um, I, I feel like right now I have more games and more dropbacks where I don't feel like he's that guy than than games and dropbacks where I do. Now, one of the players that we both agree should move out of Tier 1 and into Tier 2 is Mike McGlinchey. This is a player who was a high draft pick. He's a tackle, plays a position of value, one of the more important positions on the offensive line. And yet we both felt that he should be moved out of that Tier 1 area and into Tier 2. Why did you move him into Tier 2? So I think part of the projection with him was... uh, was hoping that he would develop as a pass protector, right? So it was uh, all of those things that you mentioned got him in there to begin with. And it was like, okay, he's, he had a great rookie season. Um, we're, we're hopeful that he can build on that and, and he needs to get a little bit better as a pass protector, but like, Hey, it, it'll, it'll come hopefully. And I think right now we just haven't seen the sort of development in that area that you really need. And, and the reason that tackles are important 
are because of that pass protection, right? Because um, limiting that edge pressure is is kind of the most important thing that you need to be able to do offensively. Um, and having good tackles who can handle guys on either side of the line on a scrimmage, like that's a big deal for your offensive line and their success. So I think it looked like he was headed on that path, but just really overall has been a, a kind of suboptimal pass protector from a, a, um, a, from looking at it across all tackles in the NFL. I mean, I think looking at, at guys you know, what, that meet kind of that minimum snap threshold, I, I want to say he was like in the 50s out of uh, around 75 qualifiers in pass blocking grade over the last two years. So just not quite there where I, I think there's just too many snaps where he's still losing in pass protection and, and kind of sometimes losing ugly. Uh, and so, yeah, I just haven't seen enough from him there to feel good about keeping him in that tier one. Yeah, very good player in my opinion, but not one of the the top tackles in the NFL yeah. overall so far this year. I think Staley is still a better tackle than he is overall. And mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that, you know, you got to go out and get a replacement for Mike Malinci. Again, tier two is still a very good place to be. And there are a lot of teams that don't have a tier two tackle in the NFL. So certainly not a, a, the tiers, I think, oftentimes can get confused with like, oh, tier one is better than tier two and tier two is better than tier three. And you know, I think the only tiers that are pretty clear, like you're someone that needs to be replaced or you're someone who's very, very good are tier one and tier five. Everyone else right. in between there is kind of fits their own role and does their own thing. Um, and you kind of need a little bit of all of them, too, yeah, right? Yeah, you, you really you do. can't just, like, get rid of a tier completely. Yeah. Um, and incidentally, I don't think I mentioned this at the top, but we will have the full ranking on the article that we post with the pod on Niners Nation. So we're going to talk about some of the players specifically and talk about general numbers. But if you want to see the entire ranking of all the players, it will be on Niners Nation in, in the article with which we post the the podcast. But Overall, I think tier that kind of wraps up tier one, tier two. Overall, there were about six players in tier two. That's nine percent of the roster. Tier three, we have eight players, twelve percent of the roster. Tier four, fifteen players uh, is twenty three percent of the roster, and then you get to tier five, uh, and that's almost half the roster. Um, you get to basically thirty two players, and again, that's not unusual. It's 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 actually an increase over twenty nineteen. But I wouldn't say that that's like oh my god, that's so crazy wild compared to what I think other teams would come out at. It's just there's a lot of replaceable players in the NFL. And and yeah. I think the Niners this year probably have an uptick only in as much as they have some players they probably want to or need to re-sign. Right. And I, as, yeah, I think the reason right now that we see, I think it's really a decrease um, in tiers three and four. And then that's kind of the corresponding uptick in, in tier five. And I think for a lot of the tier four players, it's just having another year of information on them. Right. And, and there's just players that we recognize that like, okay, last year still didn't know a ton about this guy. Still pretty young. Going to throw him in the kind of the developmental category there. Now we got another year of information. It just seems like, it, okay, he's not, he didn't really do anything to make us feel like he's on a path towards becoming like a tier two, tier three player or better. Um, and so he's probably just a guy that is is replaceable and that you can find elsewhere. So let's talk Kendrick Bourne for a second, because when we were looking at his ranking and, and I kind of ranked him, I was like, is he a three? Is he a four? He's an exclusive rights free agent at this point. So he'll basically get tendered for one year based on our own rules. We get to make up the rules of this game, David. When we say we don't make the rules, but guess what? We made the rules here. <laughs> he doesn't have a ton of expected production on the roster. And yet it feels like at some point he's got to move beyond developmental and into just what he is. So at what point do you just go from a four to a three in this case? Because he's been in the league now. I think this is like his fourth or fifth year. And and at some point, you know, you, when do you move out of that? You can't be developmental forever. So when oh, when, yeah. when I, does someone I move out? Um, I'm not moving him to three, though. He's going the other way. Uh, if we, if, if he's reached kind of the end of his developmental bucket. Sure. And, um, th- and that's the, the other side of the coin, right? It's like, when do they move from developmental into, yeah. well, turns out you're just replaceable or actually you're going to, we do want to sign you for like a couple of years to be that three player. If you're an exclusive rights agent, do you think when that exclusive rights year comes in is really the place to do it when they're up for that second contract? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense when when they're getting ready to to have to sign a second contract. I think that area is fine. I think you just kind of 
look at how old they are and, and what they've done. I mean, I, I, I hate kind of going to a, a hard and fast rule of saying that, like, yeah, he it's just impossible for a player not on their rookie contract to be a developmental guy. Like, I think overall, he's still pretty young. I mean, he's still 24 years old and and just hasn't. I mean, he's played around like the last two seasons. You know, he's been in that five to six hundred snap range. He gets like just enough there to like kind of pique your interest sometimes, but then does plenty of other things that make you think that like, okay, yeah, there's, there's nothing really that special about this guy and you're probably going to move on. So I think the only reason I, I was kind of leaning more for on him still is I just still feel like there's a little bit of, uh, of unknown with him, um, where it's like, I could kind of see it going either way still, but I would like if I had to like, okay, he's, he's no longer developmental. Where are you going to put him? I mean, I, I think he's replaceable. There, there are a bunch of wide receivers that have some talent, um, that like could put it together if you give them enough time, right? There's, there's just a lot of those guys there. And so I don't think he brings anything to the table that says like, yeah, he's going to feel like we, we feel good about him coming in and like being a productive player, even if it's just for one season, like, I mean, I don't know if, if he ended up being forced into a significant role again, I could see like almost any outcome from him. I can see him being completely terrible and also being a good player. So I just don't feel confident enough that like he's going to be somebody you can really bank on and feel good about getting that production from like I want in tier three. Yeah, that, that's ultimately where I landed to. Ultimately, I, I put him in tier four. I think age really did have a big deal uh, to do with where I put him. But I still see I do feel like he's more fully formed. Then I think then then in my mind he's pretty fully formed as as a wide receiver and by that I mean he's got a couple cases of the drops he's gonna make a really really good catch and then he's gonna drop a really easy one he's gonna mess up an assignment every now and again um, but he's got the skills to play wide receiver at the NFL level and that's just kind of who he is I, I don't know that I'm gonna yeah. see anything appreciably more from Kendrick Bourne you might see more opportunity and and sure. if that's the case then yeah he may end up with like gaudier stats. But I don't know that he's going to be a substantively different wide receiver next year than he is this year. And so that's where I was kind of like, not sure, not sure exactly where to put him initially. But um, there's also one I know that you wanted to ask me about in terms of difference, because we had one difference of opinion on where we should put uh, an interesting polarizing player for the 49ers this year. Um, I mean, one. So there there are two parts to this one. Yes, you have to to absolutely justify Kyle Juszczyk. Um, being tier three. Um, but also, how in the hell did we let him into tier two last year? Man, what we were, were we doing making the list last year. We were riding that high, man. We we took a hit of that juice and we were like, yes, let's do Delete this. Delete that episode from the archives. <laughs> it never happened. <laughs> I, I refuse. Looking back at some of these tier two players, I'm like, dear God. We were happened? aggressively excited entering 2018, like aggressively excited. We were t 10 win season. We thought the season we had this year was going to happen in 2018. And, and, you know, we just got caught up in the fervor and, and that and that happens. You know, we're, we're fans as well. But for me, I think Juice is is tier three because he is that transitional fullback. He's one of the uh, when you look at what he can do in the passing game, because I think as, as a run blocker or as a runner, he's just, you know, he is pretty replaceable. Um, and, and the argument that I'm making is not that he is the key that unlocks the Shanahan's offense because, oh my God, what would they do without Kyle Juszczyk when he was injured for four games? They still have a pretty good offense, right? But he's someone who is reliable in their production. He's still, I think, in the upper third of fullbacks, being that there's 15 of them or whatever in the NFL. <laughs> All five of them. Right? But but still, you the I think I divorced the amount they paid him, which is still absurd, with the role that he was brought in to do, which is just be a steady veteran presence at the fullback spot. And, and you know, it, it could be Anthony Sherman. It could be anyone, you know, any other fullback that, you know, if you if Juszczyk decided to leave and not resign or if the Niners cut him for some reason, you know, when that became a bit more palatable for the cap because they just actually picked up his option. They're paying him, uh, I think, like $6 million or whatever um, this year. So to me, I had to divorce the amount of ridiculous money they paid him with the role of him being a, a transitional veteran that's here that maybe hopefully you draft a fifth round replacement for, you know, in, in this year's draft. So here's the, uh, like, yeah, not even getting into the contract at all. Like for, for me, that isn't even really part of, 
um, the ranking or, or where he should kind of fit in here. Um, all I'm saying is if steady veteran presence at fullback isn't bullet point number one on the replaceable criteria, it's like top three at worst. Like if, if that's as much as you can bring to the table. Um, and, and so like, I think the thing that people run into with Kyle use check that's hard is not many offenses use a fullback period, right? So there's not a lot of points of comparison in today's NFL. Um, and then the ones, the few teams that do use it a decent amount, they don't use them the way that Kyle Shanahan does, which is almost more tight endish, right? Like it's very much more that, that like H back type role where he's going to be in the backfield a little bit. He's going to be on the line of scrimmage a little bit. And so to me, if, if you, instead of viewing him, like he always gets this thing, like there's no other fullback that can do this, right? Is like, is that really true? Or is it that just nobody else puts players like that in that position? They just call them tight ends and there's two of them on everybody's roster. Like, so if, if the Niners were to take, sign someone like Duke Johnson, would he be kind of like a, a tier three? We're like, yeah, he fits a kind of pass catching back role. And, you know, you didn't pay him a whole lot of money. He's just there to produce in that kind of passing role. No, Duke Johnson, I would not put as a tier three player. Absolutely not. Yeah. See, that's and this is this kind of gets into something that we're probably we we talked about the model a little offline and we were like, all right, we're probably never going to put a running back in tier one or tier two. But there are running backs that are going to be tier three and there's and but most of them are going to be a tier five just in general because running backs are gener generally replaceable. This is where, you know, kind of our position on running backs imbues itself, our priors imbues itself into the model. For me, I, I would put Duke Johnson as someone who's like, yeah, you pay him a couple mil and he fits a role, a receiving back role. Um, and and that's, you know, it, it, it is a transitional veteran presence that you hopefully fill on your roster and use check as a receiving back is someone who I would say is comparable in terms of the skills they've exhibited so far. Not the speed, not the whatever, but like the, the, the way that they can catch the ball and perform in the passing game is, is similar, at least from a grading perspective in 2019. Um, you know, so it's, it's not the, uh, the use check is the, the key that unlocks the Niners offense, but it's like, yeah, a veteran dude that you, you hopefully fills that role, which is a role that Shanahan needs. Do I wish he would have filled it with someone uh, that's a lot cheaper? Yeah. But he he very much values that position, and so he's gonna he's gonna fill that role with a veteran, right? And that's that's all fine. And I think it's more like, does what he does for the offense like is that difficult to find or replace? I think is what the the difference to me comes down to, right? You look at at a player like you know some of the other guys that we have in in tier three that I think are more. Uh, and a prototypical tier three examples, guys like Emmanuel Sanders, if we had him on here, if he was going to be under contract still, um, somebody like Joe Staley, Richard Sherman, right? These are are quality players, but you're just not expecting them to be around for a long time for one reason or another, right? Whether that's contract age, whatever it may be. Um, and so he may fit the like, yeah, he fills that role, but it, it's could I find 50 other players that can fill that role as well, right? Like I think. The thing is, is th that happens with use check is like, like, oh, he's one of the best fullbacks in the league, right? No other fullback can do these type of things. And they're comparing him to like this already small group of players who aren't asked to ever do the same things that he's asked to do. If you just looked at him more as like a tight end, it, which I think is more comparable, the type of players that you would find that can do that. There's a player like that on probably nearly everybody's roster. Right. That, that can that they just call him a tight end and he plays 40 percent of the snaps and yeah. doesn't do much. Yeah, I, I do think that there's the so you, who's the, the best run blocking fullback from PFF in 2019? Kyle use and then Andy Janovich and then no other fullback goes above 60, which is basically you made no impact on the game. Um, so, you know, I, I do think that there's 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 a not just marginal value there, but there's actual value there. And while I don't think it is, uh, while I don't think that that use check is like so far and above the best fullback in the league, I think it's arguable that he's in the top five of a limited sample. It's still for me because of what Shanahan does with the position is still like, it's a veteran presence. I, I would think that if use check were to somehow go poof and disappear, that Shanahan would try to fill that with another veteran and not just put like a six round rookie there. 
Um, and, and so, you know, there's, there's, to me, the, we look at keys that the team gives us from, you know, how they value the person, what they think, and it kind of imbues the model a little bit and where we put them. Um, and that I think is pro- probably creeping itself in a little for me here as well. Um, we've already probably spent four more minutes and you wanted to talking about fullback. So go really quick with your point and then we'll, we'll move on to the next bit. No, I think, uh, I don't know that there's, there's much else to add. Yeah. I, I think it's just like the fact that they could bring in another body and like, yeah, it, whether it's a veteran and because of like a, a coaching staff or organizational preference that they get a, a veteran over like a younger rookie player in there doesn't change the fact to me that you could remove Kyle Juszczyk from this roster right now. You could grab a readily available player in free agency to do exactly what he does, and their offense wouldn't be an ounce worse for it. So other than fullback, which I know you're, every time you come on, you have to talk about punters and fullbacks. It's part of your brand, David. You've got to do it. Um, there are other areas that Niners probably will actually upgrade in terms of talent and those positions we'll get to after just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. All right, David, hit me with the first position you think is really an area of need for the 49ers based on on the model and where the players ranked out. So I think the most important one um, that they need to to kind of look at is wide receiver. Um, as you've got in the show notes here, uh, you've got Debo and a whole lot of hope, which I think is is absolutely the best way to kind of describe the current state of this wide receiver group. Um, it's just a whole lot of young guys that you don't know what to make of them, right? We already spent a lot of time talking about Kendrick Bourne. Um, there are other players that we've been high on as potentially developing into, you know, a quality player for for them. Um, that just haven't either had the opportunity or haven't taken advantage of that opportunity. You know, you look at somebody like Trent Taylor, who's been um, just limited with injury after injury after injury and he's hasn't been able to stay on the field. He's gonna, I'm imagining him coming back from his foot injury with like that, that spring, that Olympic, you know, runners run when their leg's been amputated. And it's just like, he's just a third bionic. This is how I imagine him coming back to the Niners with just a foot <laughs> that's just a spring and it's like, yes, let's do this. Me and my seven and a half inch hands can go to town <laughs> with this spring leg. So you've got spring leg. Uh, you've got Dante Pettis, you know, who obviously had a very disappointing uh, season last year after a, a promising rookie season. Um, and so it's just, you know, kind of it, a lot like Akella Witherspoon, right? Where it's just like, okay, he flashed a little bit in a, in a kind of more condensed opportunity in his rookie season. Um, really disappointed in year two, and now we have no idea what to make of them, right? So it's just, again, hoping that that improves. Spent a lot of time talking about Bourne. I mean, and then you've got guys like Ricky James, Jalen Hurd, we didn't get to see at all last year. He's already kind of someone who is, I think, a little bit more of a developmental player. Jalen um, Hurd is in with when he, you he hasn't even been cleared medically yet. Like he's still dealing with the injury. And, and after having a whole year and you're still not cleared, all I'm saying is it's not a great outlook in terms of what you can expect from her this year. No. And then really the, the only other notable guy that you've got on the roster right now is Marquise Goodwin, who they um, just pretty actively phased out of any sort of role in this offense last year. I mean, I think we both felt like he's a guy that can have a role, it, you know, at minimum as a, a deep threat, you know, and somebody that can uh, be a quality player that can stretch the field and get behind the defense and, and be a big play type of guy. Um, but they just don't have either, whether that's because of um, Shanahan just, you know, deciding to move away from that stuff because uh, of one reason or another, because, or whether it's because Garoppolo just like isn't comfortable making those throws consistently, like whatever the reason is, they just don't take those shots very often um, with the way that they've been running this offense. And and so I think he is at a point where he doesn't really have a role on this team right now. Um, and so I think, yeah, the only guy that you feel really confident about um, is, is Debo Samuel. And then it could potentially get very problematic after that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the next position you're looking at is linebacker because you've got very little depth behind your starters. Of course, you've got Warner, who we have as a tier two player. Quan Alexander, who we have as a tier three, and then Dre Greenlaw, who we have as a tier four player. But then after that, you've got, you know, the the German sensation, uh, Mark Nazacha and Aziz Alshire 
And that's, I mean, that's basically it. You've got, uh, you know, Aziz Alshire has an athletic profile. Definitely, I think, someone who you hope develops into something. But, you know, at least based on his play on the field, you're like, yeah, that's pretty replaceable. He's a rookie that didn't do a whole hell of a lot. And, and hopefully he turns into something else. But that that's really about it. I think the 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 question that some might have is why did we put Greenlaw in tier four when he proved to have a, a pretty solid year considering the fact that he played, you know, the, I mean, he was basically a starter for almost over half of a year and in some cases played incredibly well and, of course, helped contribute to that number one seed with uh, the, the clinch by an inch. So why is it that we have someone like Greenlaw in tier four? I think for me, it's kind of... Um actively trying not to overreact a little bit to a, a kind of shortened rookie season. Right. He's, I think that's something that treatment. we've definitely been guilty of, like with a number of players looking back at some of these rankings. And I think just a little too quick to call these guys, you know, players that you can absolutely count on and, and trust that they're going to produce at a certain level consistently. Right. I just don't think, that you can say that what a fifth round pick, sixth round pick, whatever he fifth, was, yeah, he was um, in the that, that comes in in reserve uh, and plays like he definitely got, you know, better over the course of the year. I think he he ultimately was like pretty solid in coverage and got much better there than I thought that he would in in that first season. And so I, I certainly think that there are some encouraging things. And for me, that's like what makes him a tier four player as opposed to like a tier five player, which he would have been if we had done this post draft last year, right? You're taking a fifth round pick yeah. has a terrible athletic profile. Um, didn't really produce all that much at, at the college level, like not a ton of reason based on what we had, the information we had on him coming into the NFL. There wasn't a lot of reason to expect this guy to be a big quality player. So I think that's kind of your prior that you're building from, promising rookie season but not ready to go beyond that yet he's really getting that tier four treatment because we've been burned by akella witherspoon before basically <laughs> uh as akella witherspoon has uh, been burned by wide receivers everywhere seemingly uh so let's get to the the last position that we really wanted to focus on thinking about the future is really safety because really there are only three players with any nfl experience currently on the roster you've got jaquaski tart uh who's a tier two player Marcel Harris, who is uh, a developmental or replaceable player, depending on how you slice it, and DJ Reed, who's a developmental player as well. And uh, a safety group of Tart, Harris, and Reed is not exactly super great. I think you can probably put Tarverius Moore in there. He's been playing more safety. I think the play him at corner experience, uh, experiment is just about over. Yeah. Um, and so I think if, if you put him there, he got some experience this year as well, but that's not a super promising um, really group of players that you're hoping to run into 2020 with, that is the position where you're really looking for a tier three player. You're either looking for, uh, you know, a high draft pick or you're looking for a tier three player that can help steady that position for a year or two, even if you do end up with a draft pick at that spot or hopefully biding time for your developmental players like Harris or Reed or more to develop into something more. Right. And I, I think it becomes even more important if they continue. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens schematically with the defense this next year. Um, but, you know, seeing the amount that their coverage really changed this year, I mean, still a lot of cover three, but really working in a lot more other looks, um, you know, still zone heavy for sure. But once you start working more into the quarter stuff, some of the other coverages that you get there, like having good safeties that are versatile, that can, um, you know, not only be guys that can come up and run support, you know, but also you have to be able to cover in a lot of one on one situations if you're going to play quarters and, and, you know, ask your safeties to do that type of stuff. So um, it's an important position in, I think, today's NFL and something that, yeah, you if you you just have Tart is like the only guy in that group that like I feel like if he's on the field, which is another if um, that that he's going to be a pretty good quality player. But beyond that, it's just it's real tough. So for me, as we went through the model and we, and we ranked everyone and we looked at how the, the positions really rated out and where the Niners were in terms of tier one, tier two uh, and, and tier three players, the, the big takeaway for me was really that the, the Niners now have to make some really interesting choices and they don't have a ton of money to kind of just get whomever they want as they have in years past because they, they had a good roster in 2019. Obviously, they made it to the Super Bowl and, and now some of those pieces are leaving. 
But the Niners are in a place with their spending where I think they're projected right now to have like 13 million under the cap. And, and they can get creative, and they already have with some of that. Um, I think Quan Alexander restructured his deal. And, you know, use check, they could extend and convert some of his money into a bonus that then kind of kicks that can down the line. Funnily enough, you're going to have to have use check restructure with the kind of contract that you gave him. How could you see it? I, could, I couldn't. Um, Kill me. But you've got basically the positions where the Niners are spending their most money. Defensive line, and this is without Eric Armstead. They are leading the league in money tied up. Uh, in defensive line and in running backs, they are also leading the league, even though they had zero running backs in that top tier uh, or really even in tier two. And if you had your way, David, they'd have zero running backs in, in any tier but five, which I could see a very convincing case for. So ultimately, they've locked up a lot of money in one position of strength and they've locked up a ton of money in another area where they can probably get similar production otherwise. And now you're Don't looking at that $5 million kicker. The- Don't you even <laughs> dare forget that they're spending the fifth most money of any team on specialists. I, I don't because know. Sure, that is not? that's you know, I don't understand uh, why that makes you so angry. We have a punter that can tackle. Uh, and you know what? That's that's invaluable. It's invaluable. Yeah, sure. But ultimately, this good roster and players that are now leaving, it means that they've got some tough choices because the looking at their overall complexion of the roster, it could be a roster where you're going, if they don't make any moves or don't make any good moves in free agency um, or don't maybe even address some key positions in the draft, you could be looking at this roster and going like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if they addressed what they needed to, but they do have options available to them in free agency. And some of those players were on the roster in 2019. And so what I wanted to do with players like Eric Armstead, Jimmy Ward, and Emmanuel Sanders is I wanted to talk about what the case would be for keeping them, what the case would be for letting them walk, and then what we think the Niners should do or what we would do for each one of these players because they do fill positions that you know may not be, um, that may be valuable because they rush the passer or that you know they're a wide receiver or they're a coverage defender, but they're not currently on the roster, so they don't fall in the model. So let's first start with, of course, the person that has been talked about as potentially getting franchised, and that's Eric Armstead. Why should the Niners sign Eric Armstead? Why should they keep Eric Armstead, David? So I think you look at the season that he just had, right, is is definitely the biggest um, point in the pro bring back Eric Armstead camp. I mean, first season where he's fully healthy and we could really see, you know, what he's able to do over the course of a full season. Um, and he took that opportunity and put together a career year, um, was one of the absolute best edge defenders in the NFL this season. And, you know, retaining him allows you to keep together the most dominant part of your Super Bowl defense, right? Like this was the, the thing that you really decided that you want to build your defense around was we're going to get as many blue chip players as we possibly can along that defensive line. And we're going to just kind of trust that they're going to do their thing and that's going to make everybody's job easier. And that's sort of the approach that we're going to take. Um, and so as an organization, you, I could see you basically saying like, look, we want to try to keep that defensive line intact if, if at all possible. Now, on the other hand, and you've got examples littered throughout free agency of teams that have paid for the career year and that player just does not return to that level of performance. You think of Armstead, and he's never really been able to stay healthy, and he's never performed at this level. If you look at what his outcome curves, I think uh, Kevin Cole did some of this work on PFF, where you look at some of his outcome outcome curves for where he's likely to go based on other players that have performed similarly in their careers as Armstead, his best case scenario is that he stays at the level at which he played at this year. And if you're going to pay him the amount of money that he's likely going to command, then yeah, you expect him to do that. But if he takes just a step back, now all of a sudden that contract becomes an overpay. And what the Niners, what the Niners are going to need to do is get the most production out of their roster. And that means getting value out of the players that you pay. And if you can't get value, if you can't make it, it's a salary cap is like what, $130 million or whatever, 128. Um, if you can't get that roster to perform as though you're actually paying them like $150 million, even though you're only paying them 125, it's going to be hard to win the Super Bowl. And, and that's what the Niners did with players like George Kittle, where they're paying him a fifth round rookie salary, but he's, perfor- yeah. but he's performing like he's making $14 million a year. 
that's how you can then take that money, apportion it somewhere else, and really start to see that value add up. And if they if they're already the highest paid, like spending the most amount of money in the defensive line, and then they're going to add another ten, twelve, fifteen million dollars on top of that. Wow. I mean, over the cap is projecting his contract at seventeen million a year. Yeah, that. Um, and so I think if you get down then to what you would do, David, and what I would do, I think it's probably the same thing. Which you know, I would say get that comp pick. Yeah, I, I think you have to let him walk because, um, you know, it it would be one thing if he was another dominant pass rusher, but I think you look at both what he does very well and then what the other players who are already on the roster at that position do well. And you have two guys who are much better pass rushers, right? In, in Bosa and Ford and his value, Armstead's value, what he did this year was he was one of the best run defenders in the NFL, which like, look, when you can be like that elite level player in, in that facet, like that's good. That's obviously helpful for your defense, but it doesn't carry the same amount of weight as a top tier pass rusher. And, and I think it's easier to replace that per, sort of production, you know, whether it's collectively, you know, you're probably not going to get it from one guy, but just kind of collectively as a unit, you can overcome that that run defense gap um, more so than you can like losing a top tier pass rusher. Right. It's a lot easier to do that. So I just don't think that the combination of of the guys you have there, what you're going to have to pay him and, and kind of then what you're going to likely get from him just doesn't really all add up to a guy who's probably worth that deal. And you know Mike Mayock is going to give him $17 million a year. You know that he is. And and you think to yourself, okay, if I can let him walk, get a third round or fourth round compensatory pick next year, that is more valuable than, you know, the, the basically what will probably end up being an overpay for Eric Armstead in terms of contract. So I absolutely yep. think you have to let him walk. The Niners are supposedly in negotiations with him to sign him to a long-term extension. Um, you know, hey, good players are good players, but I think ultimately this this may be, Eric Armstead may be another one of those players we put in the, the Niners felt like they had to have this one guy and probably overpaid a little bit. And when your roster is this good and you're now at the margins where you have $13 million of cap space left over, this is where these decisions begin to add up and maybe make you miss out on someone like Emmanuel Sanders or Jimmy Ward, which are players that, you know, are, are probably, well, let's talk about him. Let's talk about Jimmy Ward because, you yeah. know, why, why should they sign Jimmy Ward? Even though he has a similar story to Armstead, right? Because he had his healthiest and most productive season this year. And he was a top 10 graded safety. He was effective both in coverage and as a run defender. And it, he can tackle and he managed to sustain an entire year's worth of tackling with only breaking a collarbone at the beginning of the year. I was going to say only only one bone this year, right? Yeah. Like all of that tackling and only one bone uh, had to suffer for it. Only one whole bone, which I've broken my collarbone and it sucks. It's a, it's a terrible bone to break. But, you know, you now see him playing in a position that he probably should have been playing from the get go. I mean, I remember when he was drafted and was like, oh, yeah, he's going to start out at corner, but his natural position is safety. At the time, I was probably too young and naive to think, then why not just play him at safety? But, you know, here we are five or whatever years later. And and he finally is in position, finally healthy and turned in the best year of his career. So, David, if, if you're going to argue about letting him walk, what what's your chief argument? I mean, I think it's a lot of the same things, you know, even though it may not be to the same degree as Eric Armstead, because you're almost certainly not going to have to pay him. Uh, a contract that's even remotely similar to what Eric Armstead's likely to get in the open market. Um, it, it's still a similar sort of thing where you have basically uh, the one year where he was, and you can't even say fully healthy for Jimmy Ward. It was just kind of mostly healthy. Um, and then kind of this one year jump in production as well. Right. And while there may be a lot of very reasonable justifications for why this was his first season that produced at that level because of all of the position switches. Um, it's still something that you have to be a little bit wary of, right? A guy that makes a big jump for one year, uh, it is almost always going to be more likely that they fall back a little bit from that and get to somewhere that's closer to that kind of previously established level of play. And, and I think that's the thing to be concerned with um, with Jimmy Ward is just that you're, you, you've been hoping and hoping and hoping for him 
to kind of become the player that he finally was last year? And then do you get too excited about that and, and maybe bring him back and pay him more than you should or, or um, you know, kind of not be as aware of the potential downsides as you should be? And despite all that, I do think the Niners should end up signing him because he does not or he will not require as much upfront money. I think given his injury history and one year of production, I think over the cap projects his contract to be two years at, with eight million per year, which is relatively reasonable. And so you're talking about paying less for a player that's likely going to impact the game more in terms of that defense. And so I would absolutely prioritize him over someone like Eric Armstead. But I don't think the Niners should commit a ton of money to Jimmy Ward because I do think that there are other safeties in the market that you can get for a fairly reasonable price. You look at someone like Trey Boston, who's a free agent. Um, you know, you even look at players that depending on how the safety market breaks out, um, you know, haha Clinton Dix has played fairly well. Um, I don't know that he fits the defense in quite the same way that Jimmy Ward does, but there are safeties out there that if you don't lock on on this guy, you can end up, um, you know, you can end up getting some production there. And and I do think, though, that Jimmy Ward's probably going to take a bit of a hometown discount, I, I think. And and so I would say absolutely prioritize signing someone like him over Armstead, but still don't overcommit. Right. It's definitely a, a right price sort of thing. And, and it's like if he goes um, for the price that we kind of think that he will end up commanding, um, then I think, yeah, it's something that makes a lot of sense and, and absolutely should do. Even if it's just, you know, I think the probably the best case uh, or the, at least like the smartest thing to do from the team's perspective is is to keep it as a shorter deal. Right. Don't go too crazy. Don't overpay for that one year jump and, and give him some long term contract or anything like that. Like keep it short, reasonable price, make him show essentially that he can can be this player consistently. And then you look at something more long term. Right. So I think as long as that remains the case, absolutely. He's somebody they should look to bring back. Or more than likely, it appears as though it's a five-year deal, but it probably has a ripcord at two years because Paragmarate is Paragmarate. Sure. Um, so, all right, Emmanuel Sanders. If you're going to sign him, well, I mean, who the hell are you going to get a wide receiver? The, the cupboard is bare at wide receiver, like really, really bare. And based on the construction of the roster, they really need a tier three player. They really need a veteran who is going to steady that group and who's going to help really maximize a lot of the developmental players that are currently on the roster. Manuel Sanders is already that person. He's just not under contract. So pay the man, I would say. Um, you know, on the year, he dropped just one of his 104 targets. He's still producing. I think the worry is that he's going to hit a cliff because he's entering his age 33 season. And you just don't know when it's going to happen, but it's, it's, it's coming. You just don't know if he's got two, three, or one years left in him. Yeah, and thankfully, I, I think the... You know, on the positive side of that, it's I, I don't know that he's a guy that is overly reliant on athleticism, right? Like, not to say he's like a bad athlete by any means. I mean, he's he's very much a guy that earlier in his career too, like I mean, even still to a degree this year, right? Like, is able to stretch the field and and shows that he has some speed there. Um, but I, I think he can win in other ways as well that makes him still a valuable piece for this offense. Patrick um, Peterson would agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just it's a good fit. You know, I think he is the exactly the type of receiver that Shanahan likes to to have on the roster. Um, you know, he obviously knows the offense. Yeah, I think it's just something that makes sense as like a one year deal um, to keep him around because, yeah, do you need to likely, you know, look at the draft or look at other avenues to try to start getting some receivers on the roster who can eventually fill in and, and be kind of those compliments to, to Debo Samuel. Like, absolutely. Yeah. You need to start looking at that guys, but you, you also, if you want to continue to compete, right. And, and reproduce the season that you just had a year ago, like you need a player like Emmanuel Sanders on this receiving core, or you're likely going to be in trouble. And I think his contract projection from over the cap was something like three years for 10 million a season, which three years seems weird considering he's entering his age 33 season. I think it's probably going to be, you know, a two year deal. Um, maybe if it's got like avoidable third in there just to stretch some things out. I still sure. don't think that like eight to 10 million is actually untoward for that kind of wide receiver that you're looking at in that tier three bucket. I mean, Marquise Goodwin is making, I think, like seven or eight million dollars this year. And and the Niners said they want to keep him on the roster if he's willing. 
um, you know, that's that's something that they could do. There may be a restructure there. Who the hell knows? But I don't think that's an unfair price for Sanders. And I think if you um, if you look at what he and what Jimmy Ward could cost, they could both have a combined cap hit that is on par or just slightly above the cap hit of Eric Armstead. And so when I'm looking at yeah. players that I want to sign, yep. it's like, hell yeah, Jimmy Ward and Emmanuel Sanders over Eric Armstead all day, especially considering Eric Armstead will likely sign a huge ass deal. And if you don't sign, um, well, I guess Ward and, and Sanders, one of them may cancel them out depending on the length of the deal, but there's an opportunity for a comp pick there. I, I, to me, that's kind of a, a no brainer, all things considered. Yeah, I, I think um, you always have to consider, and, and I think this is, you know, part of the reason some of the contracts um, that they they signed that weren't all that favorable in previous seasons, um, part of the reason that we were, uh, you know, a little hesitant to to kind of support those was because of what it would lead to in this offseason, essentially, right? You're finally at a point where you're paying your quarterback a good amount of money. You're you're a little up t- uh, tighter up to that cap. And, and now you're having to make the decisions of like, who can we fit in rather rather than like previous off seasons? It was more just like, who can we get and who do we want? Right. We have the resources to get any of them. It's just uh, who do we want to actually bring in here? And now you're always having to look at like, OK, if I sign, if I use this money on on this player, that means I probably can't get this player. Right. Like you you're always having to deal with the opportunity cost on these contracts. And so, um, yeah, I, I think Eric Armstead would be the example this year. Right. You're. If you're going to make him your priority to try to him to be the guy that you fit under the cap and that you bring back, like, what are you missing out on signing by bringing him there? Right. You're, you're just adding another player to an already loaded position and you're missing out on potentially bringing in guys who can have a larger impact in other spots. Guys like Dan Brunskill. Shout out to Dan Brunskill. He's not going to cost that much money. But I actually did want to point him out specifically because I do think that he's one of those impending free agents that the Niners should sign. He's a versatile reserve offensive lineman who filled in very effectively and was very solid in pass protection. I think that he is, he. I mean, he's played guard, he's played tackle, and he's done both very, very well. Um, he's arguably uh, based on, I, I think he could easily compete with someone like Mike Person for an upgraded guard. Um, and eventually be a swing tackle. So I do think he's someone the Niners can pay, and I do think he would be relatively inexpensive. So I think he's someone that the Niners, if they're looking at players that are leaving, could absolutely resign. That would help move their... their he's probably a Tier 4 player at this point, um, and he's still relatively young. But I think that I would really be bummed if Brunskill signed somewhere else. Yeah, I think he's absolutely a guy that they should look to bring back, right? Um, shouldn't be cost prohibitive, um, by, by any stretch and has, especially because he's shown the ability to be pretty solid in pass protection, right? He's, he's looked pretty good there. That's definitely been the strongest area of his game in in the time that he's been in there. And so I think that's always a promising sign. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like the only reason that they wouldn't look to bring somebody like that back is just that you feel like you have other options that are already on the roster and under contract that you feel are, are at a similar skill level. And so you don't feel like you're really losing anything uh, at that point. I, I don't know that they would be correct if they felt that way, but I, that would be the reason that, that I could see them just deciding to kind of let him walk. But yeah, I, I think he's a player they should absolutely look to, to bring back. Shouldn't cost him hardly anything. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, ultimately, overall, I think the roster is in a good place and it can be in a much better place if the Niners are able to retain some key players from their own 2019 team that will help continue a playoff run and potentially another Super Bowl appearance. But they really do have to play their cards right, not overpay a couple of uh, a couple of players that they're supposedly going to overpay already. And And let's see, hopefully that that doesn't end up hampering their ability to resign someone like Sanders or Jimmy Ward and that they're able to make that happen. Um, I, I don't see a world where they resign or are able to resign Armstead, Sanders, and Ward. I think it's going to be some number of those three, but not all three. Yeah, I mean, it would have to be something very unexpected, right? They would They would have to clear like a significant amount of cap space and it would need to be something like uh, 
Joe Staley is no longer a 49er. So that there's $10 million that are freed up, right? Whether he just like decides to retire. You don't put that out in the world. Don't put that out in the world. I'm not saying like, but I'm just trying to like illustrate like that's the kind of like level of, of thing that would need to happen. Like they would need to make either a, a very big move like that or a lot of, you know, medium sized moves, I guess, to be able to, to, to free up that amount of space. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is now you have you've kind of lost that flexibility by by going out and overpaying for some of the other players um, that that you signed in previous off seasons. Like now you're at that point where you no longer have the flexibility. And so you're going to have to be like very prudent in your decisions. And you're going to have to hope that you the, the the few things that you are able to do with that cap space that you choose the right ones. Well, these are good problems to have. I'd rather have the problem of trying to figure out how to keep good players than trying to figure out um, why you paid Malcolm Smith $25 million. Uh, so <laughs> remember that? That was a fun podcast. Uh, so that, I think, does it was for it this. So? I mean, look, it was. we have different definitions of fun. It's more like a masochistic fun at this point. Um, <laughs> but I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. We will be back next week where we're going to be previewing the free agency bonanza that will invariably come uh, just a week after that. Because, man, we started offseason late. Uh, and and look, we started it late for the right reasons, much like the people on The Bachelor are almost all there for the right reasons. Dear but God. but here but here we are. We've got one week to do the roster model. Now we're going to probably focus on... Uh, we've done players that we think the Niners should keep, so let's we'll probably look externally to free agency to see where the Niners are going to look and where they could gain some players that will help them in another hopefully Super Bowl run so thanks again for tuning in this week you can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals David where can they follow you that'll be at PFF underscore David a reminder that our entire tiered ranking will be on the Niners Nation website uh, with the article that we post this podcast too. So if you want to get just a total list of players there, uh, then that will be where you get it. And let us know what you think. Let us know if you think, uh, if you disagree heavily with any of the players. Uh, I'd love to get those those comments on Twitter or in the comments of the article. So thanks again Keep for tuning in. Keep use check comments out of my mentions. <laughs> you can direct all use check to David personally please certified mail only i i really like him I like yeah i'm sure he's a great dude I, he's a fun player to watch but keep it out of here <laughs> thanks again for tuning in and as always go niners